down the Murray, up the track, cross the paddock, out the back, all part of Macca's network. How do you whistle up a fox? Well, you just sit down there and you've got a little round rabbit whistle or you can use a tenderfield whistle. They've got pups at the moment and they're quite hungry. But this fox had come in behind me in the rushes and I just hadn't heard him. The wind was blowing a bit and the wind must have changed and he couldn't smell me. Of course, when he's jumped, he thought he'd jumped onto rabbit and he's jumped onto my back. Oh, Mac, it was the funniest thing. I wasn't funny at the time, but I looked back at it last night. I was having a couple of scotches and I thought to myself, boy, crikey, hey, I'll never be able to do that one again. So just come across the Manning River and it's just a little light mist on it and it's just magnificent. Where are you on your way to or from, Steve? I'm on my way to Melbourne via Newcastle, Wagga Wagga and Karamut down in the Western District of Victoria. Last time I talked to you, you'd been to Mossman in North Queensland. You, That's you, it. You're getting around, Steve. Need an offsider? Yeah, I do. You can talk on the UHF radio, talk all cool, talk to the truckies while I do the work. All oh, right, do they talk? All, do you talk all the time? Oh, yeah, I have to turn it off. There's a lot of rubbish like listening to Parliament. There's truckies ringing, quilters calling, there's winter chills and snow starts falling and everybody's talking about the weather. Jeez, Carl, mate. In Jamestown, Buckin, Old Talbingo, Lura, Portsea, Bernie, Dingo, they're warming up with Macca on a Sunday morning. I wait all week for Macca on a Sunday morning. Good morning, welcome to the program, wherever you are. On the program this morning, a little bit about, well, it's National Tree Day today, I think, as well as it used to be the old Wattle Day, and I think we should revive Wattle Day. I was most uh, disappointed to find out that um, schools, primary schools, I visited a couple of primary schools oh, last year or the year before and, and took them a bunch of wattle, and they knew naught about it. And I was talking to a young bloke the other day, and I was mentioned Wattle Day, and he said, oh, Wattle Day. He said, that sounds interesting. What's that about? Nobody knows about it, and yet it's the, it is the fabric of Australia. Um, it, the National Wattle Day was uh, invented in about 1988. They switched it to one Wattle Day. I think in some ways that's confused people. Um, the other thing is that if education departments are full of people who have got no idea or no feeling for Australia, um, then you'll find that things like this just get forgotten, bypassed. And I think that's a terrible shame because wattle, um, apart from the flora and fauna aspect of wattle, it's been part of of the nation forever. It's um, uniquely Australian. It's uh, all sorts of things, even uh, Sir William Dean, when he was the... um, Governor-General, years ago, took wattle sprigs over to Switzerland after those youngsters were drowned in the in the Gulf, um, in the ravine there. Um, it's just part of everything. And why we've forgotten Wattle Day, um, every other country celebrates its days, um, special days, but we seem to have forgotten that. We've, and I think it's a great shame. And you'd learn a lot about the flora and fauna of Australia if you learnt about wattle. Wattle Day is a great thing, especially for primary school kids, um, and it's Australian. You see them up there in the green and gold on the podium, all our wonderful um, Olympians, you know. Did you see Rowan Browning run the other day? Wow. He's, whew, he goes. Yeah, they're wearing green and gold. Why are they wearing green and gold? Duh, really? Oh, really? National emblem. Oh. I see. Uh, 1300 700 222, that's our number this morning. Uh, Helen says, Mac, I love the show. We wanted to share how lucky we were to spend our South Australian lockdown time 
camped on the banks of the Cooper in Inaminka. How, how good is that, she says. Uh, a big thumbs up to the great staff at the Trading Post and Pub. We've been able to stock, stock up our tucker box and even have got comms to keep in touch with the kids back home and listen to you. Days are warm, mid-twenties, a bit warmer. It's been quite warm in the Territory, very wet in the West, but that's uh, the weather. Bird life is plentiful, but alas, the fish are a no-show, says Hells and Tez. Good on you. Uh, and Rick, because of the time we live in, Rick is writing about August, the month of change. The now lingering dusk is inviting us to stay outdoors just a little bit longer of an evening, though still cool. The birds are noisier now in the morning, telling us that sunrise is becoming earlier. The Queensland golden silver wattle uh, blooms have provided us with a winter uplift, uh, now fading and being replaced by Cootamundra wattle and the Brisbane golden wattle, just in time for Brisbane's echo. That's next, is the echo's next week, isn't it, Kel, I think? Today, the horse's birthday reminds us that spring, with its brighter days, is on the way. August, the month of change, is a perfect ton- tonic in these lockdown times. Uh, 1300-700-222. G'day, this is Macca. Good morning, this is Angela in the Western District over near Coleraine. Hi, Angela. How are you, Macca? Yeah, good. Good. I'm off uh, helping some horses celebrate their birthdays today. <laughs> yes, that's horse, my job. That's, uh, the, what, do you, what do you give a horse that has everything? Um, <laughs> well, horses love massages. Right. And that's what I do professionally. Oh, so, really? Mm, treating a number of horses today for their owners, um, recreational horses, retirees, race horses, performance horses, quite a collection from between Coleraine over to Pomonal and then up to towards Deep Lead near Stall. So, yeah, I'll be busy today. So, gee, that's a big job. Where do you massage them? All over or just around the neck or what? what's the story? All, all over. Yeah. Just, uh, yeah, I'm... Um, you know, I'm very holistic in my approach, so go from nose to tail and, you know, focusing on the muscles, ligaments and tendons. And, so, and, and are these for racehorses or all sorts? I do have a number of racehorses I look after, um, both harness racing and track racing horses, but uh, I guess the the majority of my client base is recreational and performance horses. So they could be horses that compete in any um equestrian discipline and or just uh, perhaps stand in the paddock eating grass you know paddock ornaments the only thing see when when you get a uh, when a human gets a a massage and as you do it as i used to do i haven't had many massages but i know when you're getting physio or something you you go oh oh yeah just there oh oh, yeah (laughs) or that hurts but the horse won't tell you that will he or she oh Actually, they do tell me. Really? Um, I've been, you know, I've been around horses for a long time, so you get very good at reading their responses. Mm. Um, and just like humans, sometimes it'll be a functional restriction, just a bit of tightness. But sometimes there could be something a little bit more serious going on that maybe the horse needs to see a vet about. Mm. And they do, they very clear in their instructions to me. Some horses will actually literally push their 600 kilos into my elbow if they want me to go harder. And they're, they're <laughs> really? very, you know, they're very tolerant where people would be, you know, if I did the same sort of treatment to a person, I'd put them on the ground. Um, the horses are, you know, really, really tolerant. And then just like humans, some um, have a lower pain threshold and are more sensitive. So you've really got to, um, 
I guess, adjust the treatment technique to, to suit each particular individual steed. Yeah, aren't a horse is an amazing piece of engineering? I mean, when you look at them and they're, and they're great bulk weight and then their legs are almost skinny and their little ankles there, it's just, they're an amazing piece of engineering to me, horses. They are phenomenal and extremely tough. Yeah, lovely thing. So you, um, how long does it take you to do a horse? Uh, just to massage a horse alone, about 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, some horses I have to work a, a little more efficiently on because of their, their, they might be young or they might be a souped-up racehorse that doesn't have a high tolerance for standing still for very long. Um, but then on other occasions I'll take longer because the horse um, needs a more patient approach. And if, if the horse's temperament is um, yeah, sensitive, then I have to very much... Uh, adjust to, to what they're, you know, what they're presenting to me. And they vary on the day, just like people. Sometimes um, one day they're, you know. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Mm. They're like, uh, you never know what's going on, do you? One day they'll mm. be happy and next day they'll be cranky or whatever, like yeah. like people. Angela, where are you this morning? I'm working um, down in Coleraine near Hamilton in the Western District as, as my starting point. And is it cool there this morning? It's Would... nice and foggy. The sun's, sun's peaking at Picking itself through the clouds, but quite foggy and cool, about five degrees at the moment. There you go. Well, I'd uh, love to see you work, Angela, sometime. It's um, yeah, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing, you know, isn't it, to have a massage? But I've, I haven't had a massage forever, really. I've only had about once or twice have a massage. And some people I know haven't, couldn't live without them, you know, couldn't live without. Mm. It's a bit like coffee, you know, they have a coffee every morning, they have a massage twice a week or something like that. And I suppose it's uh, beneficial in every way. It is, and the horses, you know, it's extremely rewarding as a job. The horses do respond beautifully, and, um, yeah, it helps their experience being ridden. This is the All Over News, and regrets, I've had a few. One of them dates back to 2020. I remember 2020 when we all thought, can't wait for 2021 when things will be much better. Not. Anyway, back in April 2020, Pam called in a state of high anxiety. Good morning, Macca. Good morning. My name's Pam Chambers. I'm ringing from the 18th floor of the um, Swiss Hotel in Sydney. On behalf of the 300 Australians who are here, I'm appealing to you and to all recent Aussies if you'll hear my story. We came off the Norwegian Jewel three nights ago, totally free of covert virus and clear when we were rescued from Honolulu by a beautiful team of pilots and hosties who gave up their time to come and rescue us. Since then, we were taken off the flight and brought to this hotel in the dead of night. We're now locked into our rooms with no fresh air, no way out of the room. There are armed guards on the doors. We've been bullied and intimidated day after day. Uh, Maka, there's people here, old people, locked in rooms with no communication except a daily visit, if they're lucky, from a nurse who comes to take our temperature mm-hmm. and says, are you all right? Keep smiling. There's a family here with little kids. We're here for 14 days in a brown room up on the 18th floor with no fresh air. Now, we're absolutely happy. We know what quarantine's about. We keep being told we're self-quarantined. We're not Macca. We're in jail. We, we've been asking, please, can we have some fresh air and exercise? 
The rooms are sealed shut, Macca. There's no fresh air. There's guards on the door. We're not allowed to open our door to talk to our fellow passengers. That was Pam back in 2020, and over the last 15 months I've wondered about Pam, how she's going. Felt guilty that I couldn't do anything for her except to tell her to have a cup of tea, which I do to everybody when they've got a problem, because I reckon a cup of tea will solve a lot of problems. But anyway, I'm glad to say that Pam Chambers is on the line. Pam Chambers, welcome to the program in somewhat happier circumstances than, was it 15 months ago? Yes, it was, something like that. Nothing much has changed, but I bet you have. Yes, a bit wiser, a little bit very, I've always been a grateful sort of person, but in the last few months, seeing how the world's going, I'm extremely grateful to be living where we live. And my heart goes out to people in lockdown in apartments and so on. I think we're all a bit wiser, aren't we? Yeah. How did you look back on that time? Look, we were, my husband and I were both very anxious when we got home. It was a time where, look, to be honest, I would peep out the window to see if the police were coming down the driveway. I was very anxious and nervous. I must admit I did have some psychological help from a psychologist because it was a very traumatic time. It wasn't just the time in the hotel. It was the two weeks beforehand on the cruise where we were the whole ship was full of anxiety because we were being turned away and people didn't know whether they'd be able to get home. And then the only reason we really got off the ship was because the engine blew up mid-ocean and they had to let us off because it was unseaworthy. So that added to everybody's anxiety. So, yeah, looking back, it was an anxious time and it has taken a fair bit to get over it. What did the psychologist say? I was very upset because every time I started to talk about it, you know, somebody had asked me how I was and I would just burst into tears and totally spontaneously, it wasn't anything I could control and he just walked me through, you know, why that was happening and it was called a trigger. Every time it was mentioned, it was the trigger that uh, set me off. <laughs> but thankfully, it doesn't happen anymore. Lockdown and isolation are now de rigueur. Everybody's doing it. But you sort of were one of the first, weren't you? We were. We came off the first cruise into... In, oh, well, we, we were flown in from Honolulu. But it was the week after the Ruby Princess had docked. I know now that everybody was in a state of utter alarm at what had happened there. So we were basically the guinea pigs and they were very unprepared for us and it was very chaotic and the people in charge were very intimidating, you know, guns and flak jackets and so on. That added to our anxiety was a lot to deal with. And I mean, some people were very old and frail. There were diabetic people who weren't given the correct food and so on and so forth. But I must say about four days into it, the people in charge really got their act together and our food and the regularity of it and so on was a lot better. Quite confronting, I have to say, to be treated like a criminal. And now, is it when people say you've been through a bad experience and they say it makes you a stronger person, has it made you stronger? Is it? Do you feel a different person now? Yes. I mean, I, I always was a very strong person. In fact, the health officer phoned us on the last day to ask about our mental health and she asked us to rate ourselves out of five for <laughs> durability. And she said, oh, I'll give you a four, shall I, Pam? And I said, no, Claire, I'm giving myself a five. We, we were magnificent. <laughs> so I, she didn't ring back after that. <laughs>
Pam, I've always felt guilty because when you rang, I felt, you know, I felt helpless. You know, I think, well, there's nothing I can do. And as you say, everybody was in a heightened state of alert, so they cracked down really yeah. hard. And I felt, you know, and I couldn't do anything. And I've, I've thought about yeah. you and what you're up to in the last 15 months, but I'm glad to hear you're happy and you're a five. <laughs> We're a five. Well, thank you very much. The reason I called you that morning was all we wanted was some fresh air, Macca. It was we we understood we needed to be there, but we just wanted some fresh air, and um, that was the reason I I called just to uh, you know just to put it out there if anybody could help us. Um, I mean, I didn't expect you to go to the premier for us, but <laughs> wouldn't have done me any good. I don't think wouldn't have done me any good. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, no, but look, I do appreciate you calling me back and, and seeing how we're going. It was very kind of you. We'll see you when the borders open, eh? Okay, thanks for that, Macca. Okay, bye-bye for now. The Black Dog Institute is one of a number of organisations that minister to those dealing with mental health issues. The Black Dog Institute is launching its Mullets for Mental Health campaign this week and Professor Sam Harvey is Acting Director and Chief Psychiatrist for Black Dog. And he's on the line. Good morning, Sam, and thanks for joining us. Firstly, you just heard Pam. What are your thoughts? Yeah, look, it's really encouraging to hear how Pam's in a much better place now. But I think what comes to mind when I listen to her story is, is firstly, she said the word anxiety and anxious many times. And, you know, there's lots of people feeling very anxious at the moment. Some because of the lockdown, but for others it's because of not being able to work or worried about their work or not being able to get to their family. And and certainly we're seeing, at the Black Dog Institute, we're seeing a real rise in people coming to our website or, or phoning our clinic to ask for help with their anxiety. It's also interesting, you know, one of the things about the current situation is I think it's shown us how important some of these things we used to take for granted really are for our mental health the ability to get outside and have a walk, you know, the ability to be able to catch up with your mates or to catch up with your family. When they're taken away, I think we suddenly realise just how important they are. I think the other really good thing about her story is, of course, she went and got help and obviously that made a big difference. And I think, yeah, one of the key messages we want to get out there is about how depression and anxiety, they're pretty easy to treat if you get in early. When you think about quarantine and isolation, it doesn't seem so hard, but everybody I've talked to, even people who have had their own balcony and fresh air and all that sort of stuff, they've still you know, said that was the toughest thing I've ever done. What is it about that isolation, do you think? We're human beings and we need personal contact, I suppose. We are. I mean, we've evolved over millennia to sort of live in family groups, to live in tribes, to live in cities, to live in family groups. Like, you know, we thrive on the people around us from the moment we're born. And, and so when that's taken away from you, it's really tough. My wife's a forensic psychiatrist, so she spends her day seeing people in prison and she sees lots of people who have endured all sorts of things in their life. But suddenly when they're in that ultimate lockdown state, yeah, it really tests people. And, and for many people, it will make them experience mental health problems for the first time. You know, the things that people are going through are changing, aren't they? I mean, nobody's been through a pandemic like this. Well, not in our living memory anyway. And so this is all new to everybody, even the psychologists and psychiatrists. And it's quite bizarre, isn't it? Well, it is. And not only are we having to sort of come up with new ways of helping people because of the different ways in which the anxiety is presenting, but of course we're having to find 
new mediums to do it because I mean in Sydney where I am I can't see my patients face to face so we've rapidly learned how to see people via video conferencing in their house and you know some of these things are going to stay and for many of your regional listeners that's a good thing because you know I used to have patients that would drive a day to come and see me in Sydney now I can just zoom into their house via their laptop and have a session with them while they have their lunch. Now, organisations like yours, the Black Dog Institute, you're always, I, I expect, like others, coming up with ideas to engage with people. Tell us about mullets for mental health. And and, so, and in this time when nobody can get a haircut, I suppose, <laughs> some, some ripper mullets around. There, there are, I mean, this, this came out of the first lockdown because, pre, you know, in previous years where Black Dog Institute, where lots of people raise money for us, they're through these big community events, you know, the City to Surf fun runs and Sydney Runners Festival and all of these types of things. But of course, they all got cancelled. And our fundraising team was wondering what they were going to do. And they had this idea of, yeah, because no one could get a haircut and because mullets were becoming a bit trendy again, what about getting some people to raise money while they were growing mullets? And someone came up with this tagline, mullets for mental health. And, And we expected, you know, a few hundred people to do it. It it was unbelievably popular last year. We had thousands of people growing mullets and we raised a stack of money and, you know, that's good because actually we needed it more last year than any year previously and it's going to be the same again this year. So if your hair is looking a bit unruly and you've always wondered what you'd look like with a mullet or perhaps you want to go back to your glory years of having a mullet if you've had one previously, then this September's the time to do it. I I think there's a couple of Hollywood A-listers who've been rocking mullets recently. And I'd always thought I was excused from this because of my thinning hair. But then someone taught me the term scullet last week. So even if you're you're a bit thin on top, you can still get involved. (laughs) And how do people access that, Sam? What do they do? They just go to the Black Dog website and you just register your interest. And then our fundraising team will get in contact with you and they'll help you set up your fundraising page and... We'll send you bits and pieces to get on the way and I think even a bit of advice about the different types of mullets you can strive towards. Professor Sam Harvey, thanks very much and good luck. I really appreciate your interest. Thank you. Hello, Macca. This is Di from Millingimby in the Northern Territory. Yes, Di, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I'm a remote area midwife here. Right. And um, Millingimby's 500 metres off the central Arnhem coast of Arnhem Land in the Arafura Sea. Yes. 400 k's east of Darwin and 200 k's west of Nullumboy, right at the very top of Australia. What a lovely place to be, Di. How long have you been there? Um, well, I come and go from Darwin. Um, I just do little contracts, six-week contracts here, and I've been doing it for about 18 months. Mm-hmm. And what, um, what do you, what's, your, what's your job? I'm a remote area midwife. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, and yep, go on. I've been nursing for 50 years. Wow. I deserve a medal, Macca. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, even if you do say so yourself, yeah, well, I'm, I reckon you do too. <laughs> anyway, you were talking before how you just wanted to know what turtle meat tastes like. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I've been reading the I've been reading Ray Parkin's book about Her Majesty's Bark Endeavour, and and it's the diaries of Cook and Banks as they sail up the coast, and and they ate turtle because the 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 locals, the first Australians, they were eating turtle turtle all the time, and so they started to it, and it seems to me to be one of their main diets is turtle all the time, and I suppose there was lots of turtles around, and. Um, and I don't think mm. I've ever tasted turtle, so it must have been tasty because they were they were always after turtle. And when they had dealings with the Aboriginal people, they um, they gave they they gave them clothes and jewellery, and they just chucked them on them. But they didn't want that stuff. But no. when they gave them a turtle, yeah, you ripper, put their thumb up. Yep, that'll do us. Um, so, and I just wondered about the taste of turtle. Yeah, well, the first time I had turtle. Um it was cooked by the Aboriginals on a fire using the shell as a big pot um, and that was about 35 years ago at a rodeo in Bloomfield. And um, the most striking thing is that the turtle fat is bright green, almost iridescent green like seaweed. And... uh, the meat was floating in turtle oil and it tasted like oily, fishy chicken. Wow. And it's, it's very, very rich, so you can't eat much. Uh-huh. And it feeds lots of people. <laughs> yeah, well, I've heard of turtle soup, um, but I don't think I've ever tasted it. But, um, um, yeah, it's like many another um, wild... Um, Wild meat, they, it can be very rich and very fatty, can't it? Yeah, it's more oily than fatty. Yeah. Yeah. A bit like, um, they say mutton bird. I've never tasted that, but I've heard all sorts of stories about mutton bird, shearwaters. Yeah, it reminds me of crocodile, actually. Crocodile tastes a bit like that, but it's not so oily as the turtle. You you sound as though in your years at Mill and Gimby in environs that you've had a gastronomic um yeah smorgasbord yes. if you know what I mean. <laughs> yes, I have in my time. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's very that's nice, uh, Di. Yeah. Uh, you'll um so you come in and you like uh, work for six weeks or something, do you? And have a little contract and go and come and go all the time. Yeah, I'm semi-retired. I found retirement a bit boring, so and it's, <laughs> it's very hard for them to find midwives to work in these places. Mm. So I sort of fit in when they can't find anybody else. You need a gold medal. We're talking about gold medals all the time now at the moment. You need a gold medal, <laughs> Di, I reckon. I love it. I love it. Oh dear, oh dear. All right. Well, lovely, lovely. What's it like in Millingimby at the moment? Beautiful, I'll bet. Well, I'm on my veranda overlooking the Arafura Sea. So, what can you? What more could you ask for? <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, oh dear. Lovely place to be. We all wish yeah. we could be there with you. But um, the next best thing is to talk to you, Di. And lovely to talk to you this morning. You too, Macca. Good on you. Bye. Bye. Loretta's in Walton. Morning, Loretta. Good morning, Macca. How you going? Very well, thank you. Walton, beautiful Lake... here in New, Newcastle. I Magnificent. Know, 
Going about 25 degrees, I think, so we're heading off to the park up near the beach for a picnic day, a couple of birthdays. It's lovely. There you go. I was talking to a lady yesterday in Brisbane. She said, um, she said to me, she said, I've got to, um, I've got to quickly um, celebrate. It's my birthday today, and she said, I've got to quickly celebrate it before four o'clock because oh. we're going to <laughs> we we're going to lockdown. So it's a big rush to eat all the cake and everything before four yeah, o'clock. No, no, we're fine up here at the moment. So yeah. I think I've got two great grandchildren's birthdays. So the whole family be up there, but oh. well, it'll be fine. It'll be great. Uh, are you going to the beach? Uh, up to the park near oh. Newcastle Beach, up near Nobby's Beach in Nobby. town. Oh, yeah. Beautiful park up there. Oh, so. say, lovely. Mm. We'll have to come to Newcastle when we can travel. It's That's it's beautiful. funny, isn't it, when talking, because like, we talk to people everywhere and most of them are all right, they're not locked down, but um, no. there you go. No, we're we're it, good up here. Yeah, it'll pass, it'll pass. Mm. Yeah. Hopefully, yeah. yeah. Now, you wanted to m- mention Wattle Day. Yes, yes. Um, last year I was in the... Calvary Hospital, uh, just in oncology, and one of the nurses had acacia on her dress, and I said, oh, do you know what that means? She said, I think it means wattle, and I said, I said what did your mother call you that? And she said she didn't know. So I went home, and we were talking about it being on the 1st of August, and somebody there said, no, it's the 1st of September, and I said, no way. So I came home and Googled it, and it was changed from the 1st of August to the 1st of September in 1992. But I don't think anybody ever celebrates it now anyway. No. So, and then, but I came home and, and I said to her, my father used to sing a poem to me, The Bush Was Grey, a week today. Well, I'm 82, so that was a long time ago, and I still remembered it. So I came home and printed it out for her, and she put it up on the fridge. She said, that is just beautiful. So... She was happy about that, but nobody knows about it anymore. No, and and her name was Acacia, is that right? Yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, mother had called her Acacia. How good was that? Listen to this, Loretta. That'll take you back. Brings tears to my eyes. (laughs) Could you think of anything better than little ease in primary singing yeah, this. Could you think beautiful. of anything better? It's all mm. about Australia, but no. We, you go and ask any primary schools, they won't know any because they've got they're, no, they're, burd- they're burdened down with a whole lot of stuff. Um, oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> Like iPads and things that I don't understand. <laughs> no, that, that, that's a beautiful song. And my dad sang it to me all the time. And I do sing it to, my, to mine too, but I don't think they understand it. <laughs> They think I'm mad sometimes. You know, I'll be driving along and they'll say, oh, my God, look at those trees. So now it's a family joke, you know. <laughs> none of likes the family trees. Oh, look at the trees, they say. Mm. Yeah. Well, nice, nice family. Yeah, and today's <laughs> National Tree Day as well, Loretta. Everyone should go out and plant a waddle. Uh, that's yes, what I reckon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, they're beautiful. Good on you, Loretta. Yeah. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Thanks, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You'll never guess who's on the line. Former Managing Director, David Hill. Good morning, David. Good morning, Macca. How are you today? I'm sparking on all fours, Dave. How are you bearing up with lockdown in Sydney? Oh, well, you know, just uh, it's uh, it will pass. We've been there before. I mean, everybody in Australia has done it at one time or another. And yeah, but I heard geez, it's a drag, isn't it? It is a drag. I, I heard a lady uh, professor, I can't remember because I just walked past the... Um, 
the radio was on at work and she said something like, look, we'll, um, even when we're 80 or 90% vaccinated, she said, we'll still have the occasional uh, lockdown. And she said, we'll still be wearing masks in, in, in various circumstances, I suppose. So we have to learn to live with it, which is, I don't really want to learn to live with it, but I think we have to, David. But anyway. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's new for all of us. Isn't it? I'll say, isn't it? Also, isn't it new? When we were in, you remember when we were in the park in, um, in Orange, um, March last year, and we were doing the OB, uh, and you were there with, um, with all your uh, your friends from um, uh, um, Fairbridge, Fairbridge, yeah, and uh, a bloke came up to me. He was working with, um, he was doing the sausages and things like that in the morning, and he said, um, he said, oh, my parents, uh, was it his parents? My parents died of um, uh, Spanish flu. Spanish flu. He said within three hours of one another, and he said they were. Was it his parents or maybe his grandparents? I think it was his grandparents, and they were in their thirties, early thirties, and they died within yeah. three or four hours of one another. Because I think the Spanish flu killed about fifteen, eighteen thousand here in Australia. And, yes, yes, unbelievable. And, it, and I it, think weren't there more more deaths from the Spanish flu after the First World War yeah. than all of the deaths in the First World War? Yes, I think in so. Australia. Oh, yeah, I think yes, exactly. Yeah, they were, um, and. Um, there was uh, what was it thirty or forty million uh, in the Spanish flu, but anyway, and he just said they were young, and he said that for the rest of the time, his sister, who was then fourteen, um, brought up the rest of the family and uh, with help from from others around the place. But yeah, it's uh, so you know I think sometimes we think it's all terrible, but yet you know I think sometimes we've got to obey rules because it's for the greater good. And I I, I always think about people in the wars, the First World War and the Second World War. Um, and they really, you know, they used to give in their saucepans and all this sort of stuff. You had, you don't, you know, I, sometimes you've got to do things for the greater good till you get out of the woods and away yeah, you Yeah, and I think also, Macca, our generation, yours and mine, uh, we're the, the blessed generation in history. I mean, we never had to fight in the First World War or the Second World War. No, and only... Uh, we, we, you know, we didn't have the Spanish flu, and, and uh, so we shouldn't be whinging about this too much. No, exactly. Now, you've got, you're going to do something very interesting uh, very shortly. Tell us about it. Yes, in this, this coming week of lockdown, uh, I'm, I'm interviewing, and lots of your ABC listeners will, will know this guy, I'm interviewing the wonderful Stephen Fry. Oh, right. Um, you know, from QI and yep. Blackadder and a host of other great British TV and radio events. Yep. Um, it turns out that Stephen Fry and I both share a passion for Greece. And uh, for years we've both been involved in an international campaign to persuade the British to give back the beautiful sculptures and statues from the Parthenon that were stolen 200 years ago by Lord Elgin and are in the British Museum. And uh, uh, Stephen Fry is currently uh, making another film in, in uh, Los Angeles. So he's on Thursday morning, uh, I'm going to interview him about all things Greek uh, because um, uh, we both share a great love of Greece, like a lot of Australians do who go to Greece. Exactly. Yeah. All, uh, some of my best friends are Greek. In fact, a lot of them. You're called a, a Phil Helene, is that right? Phil Helene, yes. Yeah, it, it, it literally means friend of Greece, but it, it really means more than that. It's a lover of Greece. And, and uh, Stephen Fry would be probably the world's most prominent Phil Helene, but I regard myself as a Phil Helene. You know, it's nearly 50 years ago that I started regularly 
visiting Greece. And I, geez, I wished I could be there now. I mean, it's. it's <laughs> I'll see what I can do. I'll see what I can do. Oh, look, it's. Well, you, first of all, you've got to get permission from the Australian government to get out of here. And then, you know, what frightens me most is the. Um, is the uh, fortnight you've got to be uh, locked in a room where you can't open a window or a door. And that's what, and did you, you can't talk directly to another human being. Did you hear our uh, all-over news this morning at quarter to eight when um, was a lady rang us in high dudgeon about eight, 15 months ago, and uh, Pam, her name was, and she, she'd been locked down straight. It was one of the first ones, and she'd, they'd been on a boat. You know, everyone was on boats at that time, the... Um, and she, uh, they wouldn't let them dock anywhere. Then the boat broke down, and they had to dock them in Honolulu. And then Qantas flew them back to the airport in the middle of the night. Bang! They said that's it. And it was just after the Watsi Princess, and everybody was paranoid about the COVID. So they were just marched off, literally marched off with blokes with guns and stuff, and put into the top of the 18th floor of the um, Swiss Hotel. And they had, and she rang up here in the morning, just a bit like like you. And she said, "We're locked in here, Macker, and I haven't got no, you know, I don't mind being locked up, but we've got no fresh air. We can't." And and it was yeah. terrible. And now and, it's funny you should say that, Macker. You know, Smiley Bailey, my old mate from Fairbridge. Mm. Well, Smiley used to work as a prison warder. And he makes the point that no solitary confinement in maximum security jails are as tough as the quarantine lockdowns for COVID. Exactly. And and a friend of mine, uh, Kieran Kelly, was overseas and he came back here. He went, He was over there for three months doing something. He came back and he'd already arranged, he'd pre-arranged his his lockdown. Um, so he had a quite salubrious hotel he'd booked and, and he had a balcony and, you know, an open, he could go out in the balcony. And he said it was still one of the toughest things he's ever done because I suppose... Hey, the, you, know, you know, the Australian lawyer, Jeffrey Robertson, he was here recently. Yeah. And uh, he told me that at least he had a balcony uh, for his uh, 15 days or 14 days uh, lockdown. And he said, but it was all I could do to stop jumping, jumping off. <laughs> now, David, um, I'm talking to David Hill. David, tell me, how, can people look, um, yeah, spy yeah, in on your can, interview with Stephen Fry? Join, yep, um, uh, it's on Thursday morning at 11 o'clock, hmm. um, 6 o'clock in LA time where he is. And um, uh, it's being hosted, the interview, by uh, an organisation called THI Australia, the Hellenic Initiative Australia, uh-huh. which is a, a charity, an Australian charity. It, it, the chief executive is my wife, Steggs, who you mm. know. Yep. And um, uh, it, it uh, provides assistance for gr- vulnerable Greeks in Greece, people who are hungry, they feed, people who are homeless, they find shelter, and, and um, uh, they're hosting the event. So... If any of your listeners are interested in listening to Stephen Fry for three quarters of an hour on Thursday morning, they should go to the THI, the Hellenic Initiative Australia website, and just follow the prompts. It's free, and it's called a webinar, and uh, uh, all your listeners are welcome to, to, to join in. Yeah, I was just going to say that you know, you're, you've know you been on this for a while, and I suppose Stephen Fry has, but it seems to me, and I don't study it at all, but just from gleaning from reading, I do a lot of wide reading, that people, countries all around the world are returning things from various that have been stolen or you know, from wars or whatever um, are, are going back to their original places. Why won't the British um, you know, join the you party? You know, that's a, great, that's a great puzzle because, you know, the British are usually fair and reasonable in most things, but... 
In this, they're totally unreasonable. We, we, they haven't moved an inch on this. You're quite right. I mean, Australia and Australian museums uh, are world leaders in repatriation of sensitive cultural property. Mm. Um, but the, on this one, the, the British are just so intransigent. And even when we've got enormously influential people like Stephen Fry on our side, we still haven't won this. We will one day um, because it's it's wrong. Um, Lord Elgin, these are these sculptures and statues from the Parthenon on the Acropolis in Athens mm. from the 5th century BC are undisputedly the world's most important surviving ancient artworks. And uh, Elgin stripped them for his private states in Scotland 200 years ago, and he went broke and sold them to the British mu- British government who gave them to the British Museum, and they just won't entertain giving them back. Well, you, As I said, uh, got, we've now got countries, there are 18 countries around the world now with organisations like the Australians for the Return of the Parthenon Sculptures. So I, I, I don't think people will rest until justice is done and they're given back. So THI uh, Australia website, uh, that's Thursday. What time is that, David? 11 o'clock in the morning. Okay. Well, you might get a TV. It's usually an inconvenient time, but in this lockdown period, it, it'll be a, a welcome <laughs> relief for those people. Well, the upshot... Stephen Fry, Stephen Fry, you know, I, I can't find anybody that's got a bad word to say about him. He's, he's a very, very popular figure, and he's uh, very interesting. He's a, an old-fashioned raconteur and wit. He's very interesting to listen to. David, if you do well with this interview, you might get you, you might get an opportunity to work in the media. Um, I can start uh, <laughs> on the bottom rung. <laughs> Good on you, David. Good luck, mate. Nice to talk. Good on you, Macca. Nice see, talking to see, you as always. See ya. Is it Maria? Maria. Yes. The... Good morning. Good morning, Ian. Lee came in in a high dudge and said, "I can't get Maria. I can't get." <laughs> <laughs> the joys of mobile phones in the country. Exactly. Well, I didn't know that. Ladies and gentlemen, Maria Hitchcock is a lady I called, used to call a Waddle Day. We haven't talked much about Waddle, and maybe that's um, one of the reasons why the demise of Waddle Day. I've been most disappointed, Maria, about the fact that whenever I mention Waddle Day to, to people who are under, I don't know, under whatever, they have got no idea about it, which is, I think is a great shame, Maria, because you worked very hard to get a national Waddle Day, um, and, and oh well, you helped. Yeah, and 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 one of the reasons was that I think it's an important day. It's maybe not as important as Anzac Day, but it's it's one thing we can celebrate where nobody should have any disagreements about everything. We're celebrating part of the flora and the fauna, I suppose, at the same time, and also something that's been part of of. Um, uh, Australians' way of life everywhere, and um, and and as I said, you look up in the uh, in the Olympics. There they are. They're up there in green and gold. Oh, why are they in green and gold? Um, and I think po- people probably wouldn't even know. Yeah, that's right. And um, uh, unfortunately, you know, the whole idea of Wattle Day, the concept, just um, seemed to disappear from schools. Used to be um, a big thing in the. Um, 20s and 30s and maybe even before that, um, and and 40s. So people still living in their 80s and 90s would remember celebrating Wattle Day in uh, in schools. Um, And uh, I suppose we've just got so many other competing demands, but it's 
it's a fascinating thing. Um, Australians, uh, you know, they, they take great pride in their symbols, but unless it's um, done in a proper official capacity, you know, it just goes in a little piecemeal way. So, I mean, you'll find that all over Australia that there are little wattle festivals and, mm. you know, people doing all sorts of things, but there's nothing absolutely official about it. And I've always maintained that, you know, we need to have either a major organisation promote it or else, um, as you say, the education department. Well, that's, it's, a, it's a no-brainer, uh, <laughs> I reckon, Maria, because I've got my Wattle Day badge on um, this morning, but I've got a whole collection, you probably have too, of Wattle Day badges from another day. Um, it's just a no-brainer. I mean, school seems to me, you know, whenever we had something at school, and I think we did... Um, um, wattle day things at school for a little thing and we had sprigs of wattle and bits and pieces but it's just an over- and the Gould League was alive and thriving in those days too and that was about birds and wattle and I think the Gould League badge and we've got a lovely I got a lovely letter the other day about um, and we'll talk to her in a minute Nola Oswin um, she's from Boona in Queensland and it was about you know uh, gongs that you get and the um Order of Australia medal and things like that. They got, I think, they're in the colours of um, the green and gold, and and that's right. So and they do have the symbol of the uh, of the wattle on the actual um, badges, and also the um, <clears throat> the ribbons that go with it. Well, uh, I reckon it behoves the education. I don't know who the ministers for education are. Um, I don't follow that as closely as I once did, but look, I think. It's a no-brainer. I mean, there's so many things that divide us and agendas, but you can't get divided about, well, well I suppose spoke too soon with someone else. <laughs> but you know what I mean. It's just a hello, wattle means a lot to us. Now, the Queen, I know the Queen has got this lovely brooch. It's probably worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. It's a diamond brooch, and it's in the shape and also the colours of the wattle. And I think she wears it from time to time when the official Australian or Australia function in Australia House in London. I think she wore it when she came to, last time she came to Australia, it was presented to And it's a lovely wall, and it means it's part of our history, so why not celebrate it in a lovely way to learn about, it's not jingoistic or chauvinistic, it's just about, hey, this is Australia. The wattles, we've got, how many, you'd know more than me, 700 different wattles or something? Oh, uh, no, over a thousand. A thousand, my God. Yeah. So I don't know, but I, it would be really nice if you could get the Minister for Education to talk to the head of the Education Department and say, look, maybe this is an idea, not compulsory, but if if uh, some teachers who are interested in the environment, duh, uh, and most of them are, they could maybe have a little a little one lesson on, on Wattle Day, whenever it is. And- yeah, look, I think it could be more official than that because... Um, uh, what happens is that various departments uh, of education send memos round, and of course they've got their own education gazette. Um, <clears throat> and they, in that gazette, they, uh, you know, put in um, uh, guidelines for celebrating certain things. Excuse me. You're right. You're right. I'll... <clears throat> got a bit of a frog. Um, 
yeah, guidelines for celebrating certain things. So it can be done officially. Mm. It's just a matter of starting the ball rolling. And I remember, um, you know, when uh, I started the whole campaign for a, a national emblem, you know, I went right to the top. And that's really, I think, what we've got to do yep. is go right to the top and um, and see what they say. But it, it's a fairly simple thing um, of just uh, them deciding to set up a few guidelines for how schools can celebrate um, Wattle Day. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, hopefully it will sort of roll from there. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.